So we are on week four of Gracebook, and we are looking at the idea of the transforming power of grace. So again, week four of Gracebook, looking at the transforming power of grace. Again, I'd like to do just a quick review, uh, talking about getting a grip on Ephesians. Again, just really quickly, if you want to get the most out of this study, you need to read Ephesians, you need to memorize Ephesians, you need to study Ephesians, meditate on Ephesians, and hear Ephesians. If you want more information on that, go into your study guide, and I try to explain that a little bit better in there. Uh, we also learn about Paul. Paul's our author. He's the one who wrote Ephesians, and he's the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul, the persecutor of the church, now the church's greatest advocate going out, preaching the gospel wherever he goes. One of the places he ended up was Ephesus. So we learned a little bit about Ephesus, that um, it was a major city in Asia Minor, uh, probably the largest city in that day in Asia Minor, and what would be what we would call present-day Turkey. And they um, had a lot of stuff going on there. Um, it was a political center. It was also a sin center. Um, there was just a lot, a lot of idolatry going on in that city. Huge temple to Diana. And that was one of the seven wonders of the world back then. And so um, just amazing, amazing idolatry going on in that place. And, um, and so it, it was in that setting that this church is built and ends up being a focal point of the early church. And again, we talked about how Luke was there and uh, Paul, Timothy, Mary, the mother, Jesus, Mary or John, the beloved, all those people had spent time lived. Some of them died in Ephesus as a part of that church. And then we also learned about why Ephesians was written. It was written to strengthen and to encourage the believers. And that's, um, again, the reason why it was there. Unlike other books, he wasn't correcting anything. He was just saying, this is how you need to live. This, this will help encourage you to be a stronger Christian. And so that's why we picked this book. Also, last week we talked about a couple of things. First of all, we talked about Paul's pastoral prayer. Uh, just kind of looked at that prayer there in Ephesians chapter 1. We looked at the idea that Paul was praying that we would have the knowledge of God because the knowledge of God changes us. Uh, he prayed that we would understand hope because hope helps us to persevere. And he also prayed that we would understand God's power because God's power challenges us to be more effective in our Christian walk. And so we also learned a little bit about Christ's authority and how Christ's authority, it, it's an all-encompassing thing. And that as we place ourselves under the authority of Christ, we get to see all these blessings because we're we're putting ourselves intentionally under his authority. And he, he's, the, he's the ruler and and creator of all things. And if we will just submit to that and allow him to be the all-consuming force in our lives, we get to see him do amazing, miraculous things. So that's a little bit of a review. Let's just dive into this week's reading. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. It's in your study guide. It'll be up there for you to read along. And starting there in verse 1, it reads, 
Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed you can't take credit for this this is a gift from god salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done none of us can boast about it for we are god's masterpiece he has created us anew in christ jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your grace. Once again, we just come before you and we thank you, God, for your grace. And tonight, as we look at its transforming power, how it can change us, how it can shape us, how it can create us to be more like you, I pray that we would begin to get a deep and abiding sense that your grace is the thing we need. That even, even if we've accepted your grace for salvation, it's so much deeper than that. It's so much wider. There's so much to it that we may not be grabbing a hold of. And I pray that tonight we would just get a small taste of how great, how powerful your grace really is in our lives. And how much we can appropriate it to continue to see greater and greater and greater effectiveness. God, tonight we ask that you would be glorified, you would be lifted up, that your name would be exalted, and that as we trust in you, we would see all of heaven open up before us, knowing that you are a faithful God who desires to do great and wonderful things in our lives. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we honor you, and we pray all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen. All right. Let me get a quick drink here. This is, for me, really where Grace Book gets exciting because what we got going on here is we've been talking a little bit. We've been doing the buildup. All of, all of chapter one was really giving us a precursor for where this book is going. And now I really believe we're getting into the meat of the book of Ephesians. Uh, what, what we first see in this passage that we just read is... First of all, who we are, or sorry, who we were. We see who we were, 
And um, I just want to highlight a couple of places in the first three verses there. Ephesians chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our own very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. This is who we were. I mean, if you look at that, man, that's, that's just, that's not a good picture. I mean, just, you know, you were dead. You used to live in sin. You were obeying the devil, following the desires and inclinations of your sinful nature. You were subject to God's anger. That's, that's a pretty bad situation there. You know, going over them again real quick. Our condition, we, what we see in this passage is our condition before grace. Before God's grace fell on our life, this is the condition we were in. We were dead. We lived in sin. We obeyed the devil. We followed the desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. We were subject to God's anger. Now, there's, there's a thing that we understand about sin that, you know, sin has pleasure for a season. But when you, when you look at where we were before we had grace, I don't know about you, but that just, I'm like, ugh. I mean, like literally makes me want to throw up. I mean, it's just like, man, what, what a terrible place we were in. You know, and the funny thing is that when we were in this condition, most of us didn't even recognize it. Most of us weren't sitting there going, man, my life is messed up. We, we thought we had it good. We thought things were going well. But it's because we didn't really understand the full scope of what was going on. We were living in ignorance. And, and when you look at this, you know, if you were to walk up to somebody who's in this situation and say, by the way, I just want to let you know you're dead. You live in sin. You obey the devil. You're just following after your own desires and inclinations, and you're subject to God's anger. I don't know about you, but that's, I haven't won a lot of friends that way, you know, starting conversations like that. It just, and, you know, it's, though it's truth, it's not truth that's easily seen by the world. But the exciting thing for us is we can recognize where we were. One of the, one of the things that, um, a book that really has kind of influenced me is this book is called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's not a Christian book, actually. I believe the guy who wrote it was a Mormon. And um, the, the principles in it, though, are pretty universal. And I believe they're also strongly biblical, if you really understand it. But what he talks about in the book, when you first start out, is that as humans, we have this unique characteristic that 
none of the animals in the rest of the animal kingdom have. It's this thing called being self-aware. If you think about it, you're, if you have a dog or a cat, it probably isn't self-aware. You know, if it's got a problem eating poop, it's going to keep eating poop. It, it doesn't say to itself, you know what? You know, Rover, this probably just isn't the best thing for me to be doing right now. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the capability to look at itself and recognize where it is. Whereas we as humans do. We do have that ability. We, we have the unique characteristic to be able to look at our own lives and say, you know what, I could probably stand to shave off a few pounds. Or, you know what, I should probably go back and finish that degree. Or, you know what, I'm really at a bad anger. I, I, I've, I've, I've got to get a hold of that. You know, and so we, we can look at these things and say, man, this needs to change. And if we get to the point where we can look at ourselves before grace and see, man, things are messed up. Things are, things are not in the place where they're supposed to be. That's when we can begin start to take those steps towards grace. Because we, we begin to recognize that though it seemed fun at a t- for a time, though, though there was some enjoyment in that kind of a lifestyle, we begin to recognize that it's empty and hollow and it leads nowhere. And it's because when, when you really begin to understand it, this is what we were. This, is, this was our condition before grace. And, it, and it's a scary and it's a sad and it's a, it's a hopeless condition to a point especially when you don't recognize that grace is there when you don't recognize that there's something that you can reach out for to get you out of it but that's that's i guess the exciting news is we do have something and we continue to read about that so let's so not only do we see in this text who we were we also see who we are who we are now and so what I'd like to do is look at verses 4, 5, and 6. And again, just want to highlight a couple of things for you. It reads, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is not only by, sorry, it is only by God's grace you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So all of a sudden, the picture is getting a little bit better. You know, some of the words I have highlighted here, you know, God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much. He gave us life, raised us, seated us. We are united with Christ. Christ. I mean, that, that's a powerful thing. So the first thing we need to recognize here is why did we receive grace? Why did we receive grace? Well, according to our passage, there's two simple reasons why we received grace. Number one, God's rich mercy. And secondly, God's great love. I love the way that passage puts it. 
But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much. I mean, just, <laughs> that's just, that's powerful. And that's why we have grace. That's the only reason we have grace. I mean, it goes on to say that it, it's by grace you've been saved. Only by God's grace. That it wasn't because he looked down and said, you know what? Marty, you're just a really cool guy. You know, because you do such cool things, I'm going to give you grace. It's not like, you know, he had that kind of a situation going on. He just, before we ever deserved it, before we ever earned it, God looked down and said, Ashley, I love you. I love you so much. And he said that to all of us. And he, he poured out his grace on us because he wanted to because he has he's full of rich mercy because he has great love for us it's nothing we've done it's nothing we did that's the only reason we receive grace we we all the only condition we have really is to accept it to say god i accept your grace you know, I just trust in, you know, having looking at who's in the room that, you know, all of you have have made that choice. You've made that choice to accept God's grace. And so now we looked at who we were that, you know, our condition before grace. Now we can look at our condition after grace. What are we like after we have received God's grace? The first thing it says is that we are alive. It says God gave us life after he raised Christ. We're alive now that we've received grace. It said we were dead, now we're alive. It also says that we were raised. We were raised with Christ, and it also says we are seated with Christ. Now, it's important when you're studying a book the way we're doing to remember what's been said previously. I don't know if you remember back last week, if you were here, but one of the things we looked at was God's power. We looked at how God's power, how we have to understand God's power. And two of the things that it pointed out about God's power is that it raised Christ and it seated him in authority. God's power raised Christ and God's power seated him in authority. And now it's saying to us that we are raised and we are seated now, I, I just want to read that passage to you, that part of the passage to you again it says he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms it's not by accident that those words fall right next to each other in this passage he's making a reference back to what he said in chapter 1 that he raised Christ and he seated Christ because of grace, we are raised from death and we are seated with Christ. And the last thing there that we see is that we are united with Christ. That when we look at what grace has done, it has united us. That, that we are connected with who Christ is and with what he is doing in the world. That, again... When we showed you the picture of where we were, 
and then you contrast it with where we are, that, that, that shouldn't be an exciting thing. That should make you want to jump up and down. That should make you want to sing. That should make you want to praise God. Because when you, when you contrast where you were before grace and where you are now because of grace, that it's a mind-blowing thing. That we were, we were subject to God's anger before grace. But now because we've received God's grace, He's made us alive. He's raised us, he's seated us, and he's united us with Christ. What, a, what an amazing thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know of an exchange program out there like that. I mean, maybe Obama's clunkers for cash comes close, but, but not really. I mean, I mean, her parents scored big on that. They had this old, like, terrible car. I mean, it was falling apart. They got it for like 100 bucks or something like that from a friend just because they needed another car. And then this, you know, cash for clunkers things came out. And I think they got like 5000 or $6,000 towards a new car for, with a car that they bought for 100 bucks. So, I mean, that, that's almost close <laughs> to the idea here. But it's, it pales in comparison, obviously. It just it gives us a little bit of something that we can think about. But there, there isn't an exchange program out there like that where you can take the fact that you were living in sin, that you were obeying the devil, that you were, that you were going after your own sinful nature, and all of a sudden, God comes with his grace, and we receive that grace, and all of a sudden, we're alive and we're raised and we're seated with him. It's an amazing thing. And here's the cool part. It's even deeper than that. You see, when we received God's grace at salvation, that started it. That's why we can say we are these things, that we are united, that we are alive, that we are seated, that we are raised. But it goes even farther than that. And, and see, I think, I think this is the place where most Christians leave grace. They take grace to be saved. They get excited about it. They say, praise God, I've been saved. But they don't recognize that grace was not meant to be a one-time band-aid just to cover our condition. But it was meant to transform us. Not just once, but continually, over and over and over again. God's grace can be continually applied to your lives. So we looked at who we, who we were. We looked at who we are. Now I want to look at who we are becoming. Looking at verses 7 through 10. It says, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God, 
Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. We are created, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You know how I was talking about if you want to really get a hold of Ephesians, that you need to read it, you need to meditate on it, you need to do all these things, talked about memorizing it. And now I admit that trying to take on the entire book of Ephesians could be a, look like a very daunting, heavy thing to try to memorize the entire book. Um, but really, there's only 155 verses. If you were to take 10 a week, you could get it done by the time we finish Ephesians. But I'm not going to place that on you, say, you know, you don't really care about this class if you're not going to, you know, memorize the entire book. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying probably the best thing for you is to find a few verses that really stick out and memorize those. I'm going to tell you right now, these are some great verses to memorize. These are some of my favorite verses in all of the book of Ephesians. They're powerful. Because, again, they tell us what we are becoming. I mean, look at some of these things. It says, God poured out his grace so that he can point to us as examples. You can't take credit for this. Salvation is not a reward. We are God's masterpiece so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's, I, I, I mean, that. I got to stand up. That, that, that right there is what this whole thing about grace is all about. That it's not just so that we could be saved, but it's so that we could become something greater. Not just so that we could say, well, I once was this, but now I'm this. But that we could say, not only am I this, I am going towards that. I am I'm striving to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Here's a couple of things that we see in this passage that grace continues to transform us. First of all, we see we are becoming examples. I don't know about you, but that in first reading kind of strikes me funny. That... Part of the reason why grace was poured out on us was so that we could be examples. Basically, what he's saying is that God wants to pour out his grace on you so that other people throughout the ages could look back on your life and say, man, that person couldn't have done it, but God. But God stepped into their lives, you know, When I got saved, I, I was, uh, you know, just a little nobody, 15-year-old kid in a little nowhere town in the middle of South Dakota. But God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this little scrawny, long-haired kid. I'm going to pour my grace on him. And I'm going to let him become an example of what my grace can do. And the thing is, he desires that for each and every one of our lives. That we would continue to allow God's grace to transform us so that there can come a time 
where other people can be pointed to your life and say, look what I did. God can say, look what I did with them. I mean, again, it's not so that we can boast. It's so God can boast. It's not that we can say, wow, I've arrived. You, you should look at me. I'm an amazing Christian. That's not, that's not what God's grace is for. God's grace is so that God can say, look how messed up they were. Look at what I'm doing. Look at how I'm using them. That's, that's, what is, that's why he is continuing to transform us with his grace. The other thing that I think is that he continues to transform us so that we are becoming aware of grace. Again, like I said earlier, sometimes we just we leave grace, we leave grace at salvation. We, we get saved by grace, and then we leave it there. But I think it's important that we recognize that, that grace wasn't just for salvation, that it was, it was deeper than that. It says you were saved by grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done, so no one can boast about it. What I see here is that God's saying, you know what? I saved you by my grace so you couldn't boast about it. I'm going to continue to pour out my grace on you so that no one can boast about it. Here's the problem that we have with sin. Here's the problem that we have when, as we continue to grow in our faith. We continue to deal with sin. Sin continues to be there. It's not like grace comes along and all of a sudden sin is gone. You accept Jesus Christ and you don't sin anymore. I mean, if any of you have had that experience, come talk to me. I'd, I'd like to know <laughs> what exactly happened there. But the truth is, that's not what has happened. Grace has not removed all sin, but grace continues to pour out upon us. And so what we see is that what happens, we get saved, and all of a sudden we try to be good people in our own strength. All of a sudden we become Christians, and either somebody forces this on us or sometime, somehow we get this view that we've got to work harder if we want to be good Christians. So we just we dedicate, okay, I'm going to read through the Bible 20 times in the next month and I'm going to memorize every single scripture in the next two weeks and I am going to go to church 42 times today and i'm you know and we 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 start putting all these regulations because we think well if i do more if i act out this way if i if i do this i'm gonna be a better person now you should memorize your bible you should read it more you should go to church i'm not saying all any of those things are bad but the problem is we start to think that we become better people because we do these things when the truth is we do these things because we're becoming better people we do these things because we're allowing God's grace to change us. One time, um, I have this friend, and she's also friends with my father, who's also a pastor. And this friend, she walked up to my dad, and she's like, I don't think I'm saved anymore. And he's like, really? You know, and if you if you ever to meet her, she's like like the picture of what a perfect Christian would be, you know. She just she's a missionary right now. She's going off. She's changing the world. But she comes up to my dad and is like, 
I don't think I'm saved. My dad's like, well, really? Why do you, why do you think that? She's like, I haven't read my Bible in two weeks. <laughs> my dad was like, that's great. And she was like, what? That's, that's wonderful. She's like, wait, wait a minute. This is not exactly. Also, my dad interjected. He's like, no, now wait. I don't want you to read your Bible again until you want to. I want you to, don't pick up your Bible one more time until you feel like you want to read the Bible. <laughs> and she's coming to my dad for advice and for just, you know, how, how do I break through this? And my, my dad says, stop reading your Bible. And she was like, but, it, you know, she's coming to a pastor thinking, he's going to tell me, well, you, here's a good Bible study program for you. And here's, and he's like, just stop. Stop reading your Bible. And so she listened to him. A month went by, she didn't read her Bible. Two months went by, she didn't read her Bible. See, what my dad was trying to get across to her is you're not saved because you read your Bible more. You read your Bible more because you're saved. And what happened was after two or three months, she was just like, man, I need God's word. I need God's word in my life. And all of a sudden, she picked up the Bible, not because she felt like she had to, not like it was religion being shoved down her throat. You've got to read your Bible this many verses a day. You've got to do this much. You've got to do that much. She started picking it up because she desired more of God's word in her life. And all of a sudden, she started reading the Bible more than she did before when she had like this regimented, okay, you have to read three, three chapters a day, two from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. You know, she had like this whole structure. All of a sudden, now, once she started realizing it was grace, that, that reading her Bible didn't save her that she read her Bible because of what God was doing in her life, all of a sudden she started reading it more and more and more and more. See, sometimes religion gets in the way. We think we're, we got saved by grace, but we continue in our salvation by doing lots of lots of work and by, by reading enough and praying enough. And, you know, I don't ever want to get to the point where I say, well, I've, I have to pray because I'm a Christian, or I have to read my Bible because I'm a Christian. Really, I hope that I always have the perspective, man, I get to read my Bible. I get to pray. There's a God in heaven who wants me to get down on my knees and say, God, I just want to spend some time with you right now. I want to, I want to push aside every other agenda and right now, right here, I want to spend time with you. And he desires that from me. I mean, what kind of God do we serve that he would want to spend time? The creator of the whole universe desires to spend. That, when I see that, when I, when I become aware that it's God's grace, that I don't have to work it, but that he can give me more grace so that I'll want to spend more time with him, then all of a sudden, all of this trying to do more and be more and act out better falls to the wayside 
because we become aware that it's not by our works, but it's grace. The other thing that we need to see is that we are becoming God's masterpiece. I love that line. For we are God's masterpiece. It's like our entire lives is, are this tapestry. And that all the great days are these bright colors. And all of the dark days and hard days are, are the dark tones. And you don't quite understand it as you're going through the brushstrokes of life. But when you stand at the end, we're going to see that we are becoming a masterpiece. That we are going to be a part of God's grand design. And we're going to look back at our lives if we continue to submit ourselves to the grace of God and be in awe. How he used all of the pain, all of the joy, all of the sorrows, all of the victories to create our lives into this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of what his grace can do. It just, it floors me when I think about that. That my life is part of God's masterpiece. When, when you think about people like Michelangelo and Da Vinci and all of these people who we would consider the great artists, and you think about their masterpiece and how, you know, it's the Mona Lisa or it's David or it's the Sistine Chapel or it's whatever it is. And you think about the time and energy and effort that went into creating those things. God's spending that same kind of time and energy and effort on me so that I could become, through his grace, can become this amazing work of art. And finally, we are becoming God's faithful workers. The last thing we see there in verse 10 is that we are becoming God's masterpiece so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Again, if he planned for us to do these good works, he's going to give us the grace to do it. We can't do it in our own strength. You know, one of the things God's called us to do is to change the world. He's called us to, to take this gospel to every creature. I don't know about you, but when I look at that, that's a pretty big task. That's something that I go, man, how, how could I ever do this? But when we rely on God's grace, he's going to begin to supply everything we need so that we can be who God created us to be, so that we can do the works he created us to do. That's not by us mustering up more of our strength and by us doing more of this and doing more of that. It's by us placing ourselves in his hands and saying, God, I give you my life. Give me the grace I need to be and to do the things you've created me to be and do. 
There's something absolutely freeing about that. So much of religion out there tells us we've got to do more. We've got to we've got to memorize more. We've got to attend more of this. We've got to do more of that. But what I see in these verses is God saying, "Grace is a gift. I've given it to you so that you could be transformed into being the people I want you to become." That if you try to get in the way, if you try to do it in your own strength, all you're doing is saying, God, I don't trust you with my life. Whether we say that or not, that's really what we're saying with our lives. But when we can just sit back and say, you know what? I'm a mess. I mess stuff up all the time. I'm not the kind of Christian I want to be. But God, I trust you, and I put myself in your hands. God, give me the grace I need to be the type of Christian you want me to be, to be the type of follower you desire me to be. That as we're becoming all of these things, all of these things don't happen because I muster up my strength to become them. They happen because I say, God, let your grace transform me. I'm going to teach you a prayer that I believe can be the most powerful, freeing, liberating, strengthening, transforming prayer you could ever pray. You ready for it? This is a prayer I want to challenge you to pray when any struggle comes up in your life, when any difficulty faces you. Simply pray this. God, give me more of your grace. That little prayer, I believe, can transform your life. You see, because I don't know about you, but my life, sin, hits me all the time. And I can try to do all of these things to make sure that sin doesn't attack me. Or I could just say, God, give me the grace I need to have victory in this place. You want to know God's will? God, give me the grace to understand your will. You want to hear God's voice? God, give me the grace to hear you more clearly. As we trust God with these things, we're going to see his grace continue to be poured out. It, again, the reason why that little prayer is so powerful is because we be, as we pray that, we begin to recognize, you know what? I can't do this by myself. I can't, I can't be a better Christian. I can't have victory over sin. I can't, I can't come to your Bible with enthusiasm. I can't spend time in prayer without feeling like it's a drag. But God, give me more grace. God, give me more of your grace 
that I could understand how powerful prayer is. God, give me your grace so that I could be more like who you are. There's, there's this passage. All of us should be familiar with it. It's Galatians chapter 5. I believe it's verses uh, 22 and 23. But it's simply, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It says, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering. And it goes through all of these things. The thing that we fail to recognize is that those things, they're God's fruit. It says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Not this is the fruit of Gerald. Or this is the fruit of Megan. Or this is the fruit of Anna. This is the fruit of the Spirit. That means we can't produce it. If it's not our fruit, we can't produce it. If I'm an apple tree, it doesn't matter how much I want to produce oranges, I can never produce oranges. It doesn't matter how much I want to have self-control. It doesn't matter how much I want to be loving. It doesn't matter how much I want to be kind. If I, by my nature, can't produce that fruit, it doesn't matter how mad I get at myself, it doesn't matter how many scriptures I memorize, it doesn't matter how many times I'm in church, I can't make myself produce those things. But if I would simply begin by saying, God, give me the grace to have more self-control. Give me the grace to be more loving. All of a sudden, though God still expects us to follow the things he puts in front of us, he also gives us the strength to do it. His grace changes everything it's not just for salvation it's not just so that we can be freed from the life we used to live it's so that we can become everything god's created us to be that's why we have grace that is what is so amazing about grace that it continues to transform us and that at the end of the day, we can sit back and say, you know what? It wasn't me. It was all God. Because His grace shows us who we were. His grace shows us who we are. And through His grace, we can discover who we are becoming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace. God, I confess that so much of my life has been trapped in the religion of doing more. The religion of if I could just memorize one more scripture, if I could just go to this seminar, if I could just read your Bible a little bit more, then then maybe I could be a better Christian. And tonight I confess that sin of religion before you in doing more, I could never 
make myself more like you. Because that's not my nature. But God, you have given me grace. Your grace is what I need. I pray that tonight I would I would be able to grab a hold of more of your grace, that I could become more of who you've desired me to be. And I pray for every single person in this room, any of them that have been in that religious battle of doing more, trying to live up to a, a standard that somebody's put in front of them, that they have to know this much scripture, or they have to spend this many hours in prayer. God, I pray that you would break those religious spirits off of every single person in this room and that we would begin to recognize that the only way we become more like you is when we submit ourselves to your grace. It is by grace that we have been saved. It is by grace that we were transformed. It is by grace that we will continue to become more and more and more like you. God, forgive us of the times that we have tried to do this in our own strength. Forgive us for the ways that we have tried to put up standards and barriers and religion in the way of your grace. And I pray that you would bring freedom in this room. That if there's people here who are tired from trying for years to be a better Christian, that you would bring liberty through this word that they would recognize that all of their trying will only frustrate them. But the freedom that comes through your grace is the same freedom they experienced the day they accepted your salvation, the day they felt those weights fall off of their heart. It's the same freedom they can experience right here in this room as they just simply say, God, give me more of your grace. Give me more of your grace. Give me more of your grace. Jesus, you are so faithful. You're not only faithful to save us, but you're faithful to continue to transform us by the changing power of your grace. Lord, we place ourselves in your hands. Let our lives under the authority of Jesus Christ, be filled and transformed by your grace. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. And we pray all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen.